This episode is brought to you by Great Waters Financial. And I had an epiphany from the Lord with two little tiny pieces of wood whittled out of a tree. I am commanding the attention of like two million people. That's world-renowned Zorro the Drummer on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello, this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. We're so glad you're with us for this episode because there's so much more left inside of you and we want to help inspire you to put your faith to work and to live that out. And I can't think of a more inspiring guest really to have on today's show to talk specifically about that than our guest that we have coming up here. What about you, Armin? Oh, man. I'm, I am I won't go into my rant because I'll just rant after. You will. It's, yeah, you I'll will. rant after. Yeah, all right. I'll save it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let us just say we have the minister of groove that rock superstar Lenny Kravitz calls Zorro the drummer the elite in the music industry. He has worked with Lenny Kravitz, Bobby Brown, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, The New Edition, Sean Lennon, Philip Bailey of Earth, Wind & Fire, and many, many others. He's consistently been voted the number one rhythm and blues drummer in the world. But he's not just a musician with platinum records. He's also an ordained minister who's been a spokesperson for the Compassion International, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. And he's been honored at the nation's capital for promoting responsible fatherhood and mentoring as part of the White House Fatherhood Champions of Change program. He's a terrific speaker author, trainer, so much more. Welcome to the podcast, Zorro. It is my honor and privilege to be a guest on your show, Larry. Thanks for having me. Well, so looking forward to this, in in part because I feel like we've got some kindred spiritship going here. Your new book, which we'll talk about in a little bit, Soar, the subtitle is You Were Meant to Live for So Much More. Now, I imagine maybe that subtitle came to you a while ago, but it's so close to our our subtitle on our podcast, which is There's Much More Inside of You. <laughs> Put your faith you know, to work, right? God connects us in many ways with the same messaging. He just gives us our own unique way of expressing it. Exactly. So we're looking forward to kind of doing a little bit of, well, how, how should we say this? Should we do a little jamming here today? Sure. We're improving. <laughs> do a little improv. All right. You're a busy guy. You're doing quite a bit on the introduction to this show, or at least as as you and I and Armin were chatting before we started the record button, you said you're actually working on a script about your life. So tell us about yourself, Zorro, kind of your backstory and what that's all about. Well, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. I grew up in an area known as Compton. I was raised by a single immigrant mother who had the task of raising seven children alone. My mother was an immigrant from Mexico City. We grew up under a lot of hardship and poverty and ridicule and racism and a lot. And I was abandoned at six months of age by my father who left us. And the only thing he left me with was a set of bongos, which ended up being very prophetic. Uh. So I, I grew up, by the time I was in fourth grade, we'd probably moved about 40 times. So we grew up financially challenged and emotionally challenged in every other way. But the great thing was that my mother had strong faith in Christ. She was a devout Catholic woman who knew Jesus, and that was the strength and fortitude of our household through all of that upbringing. Yeah, now you also, in your book, you said you slept in a Chevy Nova for a while. Um. Yes, we were also, yeah, I mean... I, but the crazy thing about my life is I have, with my brothers and sisters, we once lived in a 1962 Chevy Nova, but God would take that same young boy, and eventually I'd be traveling around the world with the likes of people like Paul Allen, the co-owner of Microsoft, Bill Gates' partner, and I've stayed at the most fabulous places in the world, proving that God can do anything he wants to do with a Amen. willing soul. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, what a... What a fun story. Now, I know there's a lot to unpack there, but you're a busy guy right now. How do you find time to do all the things that you're doing at once? I'm very organized. I have been all of my life. I'm very organized. I'm meticulous. I'm a planner. I'm a strategist. I squander very little time. I always tell people, if you want to get the most out of life, divide your life in 10-minute increments and waste as few of them as possible. I plan things, and, and I actually don't get a lot of sleep. 
Uh, so sometimes when I'm really driven by a vision, I'll get up at three, four, five in the morning to work on those things that I won't get a chance to do during the other busy part of my day. So really discipline, which is something that few people seem to want to embrace anymore, just discipline and drive, determination to accomplish a certain amount of things while I'm on the planet. Did you get that from your mom? Partially. I would say, you know, she was definitely a person who influenced me. She was very enthusiastic, very optimistic, very filled with faith and filled my young head with a dreamer-like spirit. She always taught me to dream about things, to believe in things, but then to to follow up with corresponding action. And so I saw her go through a lot of incredibly tough times. and She was a very resilient, tough, strong woman. So I followed in her footsteps. The organization discipline part, you know, I think some of that was just me and my own choices because you could have 10 kids raised by the same parents and each one turns out different in that regard. Yeah. Now your mom and your situation when you were growing up was, you know, obviously poverty stricken as you described it. How did you make that shift to starting to see the abundance that you can, I mean, I'm not talking about material abundance here, and I think you know that, but the abundance living that you can have or anything is possible, as you mentioned, you're, you know, moved from a Chevy Nova to experiencing some of the, you know, most terrific places to stay. How did you grab a hold of that shift that was possible? I would say that it was vision. I mean, I'll give you an example. When I was in the fifth grade, I wanted to enter a talent show in my elementary school. It was a new school. We had moved from South Central Los Angeles, Compton, to a little town in Oregon called Grants Pass. So I, I went from a place in L.A. that was like the set of Sanford and Son to a place that was like the set of the Waltons. So it was an extreme polar cultural difference. But I wanted to play the drums in the talent show, but I didn't have any drums. And so I improvised, and I used my vision and my imagination, and I told the kids I could play drums. They allowed me to be in their band, and on the day of the show, I showed up with a big Maytag refrigerator empty box. And they looked at me and said, what's that? I said, that's my drum set. I said, that's not a drum set. I said, well, it is to me. It's all I've got. So I set up that big, giant, empty Maytag refrigerator box on the stage, and I sat there, and I played it with my hands. Now, the other kids looked out into the into the measly audience and saw probably 20 unenthusiastic people. I, on the other hand, looked out in the audience and saw 50,000 screaming fans that were enthralled with my performance. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that is what you call vision. I was never limited by the actual limitations of my life because the way God wired me is he made me like a dreamer. So I would always, and my mother always taught me not to look at life through the lens of the circumstances that you face, but rather through the lens of hope and potential and future promise. So I, I was kind of always this kid whose head was always in the clouds, and I was always dreaming of all these phantasmical things, you know, that were not what my reality was. But I guess you would call it vision, but then I, the vision was always exercised with faith because I took steps of courage or steps of faith to move towards that vision. Tell, tell me about your first drum set. That had to be something special then when you graduated from a box to, a, to an actual set. Yeah, actually, well, the first, the first you know, semblance of a drum set was actually a, shortly prior to that playing on the box. At 10 or 11 years old, my mother bought me from the Sears catalog, $9.99 it cost, was the Disney Rock Tet drum set. It was basically <laughs> a Mickey Mouse toy set, but it was all paper heads. And it was really a toy. It wasn't something that I could really play. So I destroyed that by Christmas evening. But that kind of put the taste in me, you know, and then that led to the box. But when I finally bought my first real drum set, I was 16 years old, and it was just kind of on a whim. I was in the library of the school, and I saw one of the drummers there, and I just randomly asked him. to said, hey, do you know anybody who's got a drum set for sale? And he says, I don't have one, but this guy John Perkins might. So I knew John was a drummer in the school band. I went up to him and asked him, would you happen to have a drum set for sale? And he said, yeah, I do. I'm selling my old kit for $100. So I bought his drum set for $100 I, with my own hard-earned money. I was 16, and I was elated. you know. And I didn't know anything about how to play or anything, but I just knew I had to have those drums. Well, you were captured by it. I, I'm, I'm in awe by that because when I go to a concert, you know, a rock concert in particular, I'm stunned by the drummer usually, and it's, it's not anything else. I'm just kind of captivated by how 
these guys can lay down the sticks because I can't keep a beat for the life of me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all have our unique gifts. I remember once I was doing a concert and I was playing in Washington, D.C. in front of the Washington Monument on the 4th of July. And there was literally close to 2 million people in the audience. It was one of those free outdoor 4th of July concerts that the city puts on. And I was playing with a famous act at the time. I remember looking out and seeing, you know, a sea of people that looked like, you know, Moses and the Mm. Great Exodus. And as I was staring out into the crowd, in one of the songs came a drum breakdown where it's just the drums and everybody's just moving to the beat of the drums. And I had an epiphany from the Lord. And it was, it was an amazing feeling because I, I said, wow, Lord, with two little tiny pieces of wood whittled, you know, whittled out of a tree, I am commanding the attention of like two million people. Wow. And everybody is moving to what I'm doing. And it just was a revelation of the power of rhythm. And then I realized that, you know, God is the creator of all rhythm itself because the whole earth and the universe is rhythmic. Everything about human life has a rhythm, has a pulse. And I get to be a little gatekeeper of this thing called finite time. So it was quite a revelation, and it was quite exciting to know that he gifted me with something that could make the whole world move. And I've traveled all around the world from the trenches of the, of, of the ghettos of Ghana, Africa, to pr- palaces and princes and kings. And my little sticks have taken me there and connected me with people from all walks of life because everybody responds to rhythm globally. That's amazing. I got to ask you about more of the struggle side of your life because I think we kind of breezed over it and it's almost hard for people to (laughs) empathize if they don't fully grasp what you went through. I I can empathize because I've gone through it, but help me understand what was life like for you to be one of seven kids with a single mom who is basically considered a foreigner at that time, living in one of the most expensive states, living out of a car, you're a teenager and you have no father, and all these things are taking place. Help us understand what your life was like at that time. Well, I faced a lot of rejection because when my father left when I was six months old, he stole the only car we had, drove off, moved back to where he lived in Chicago. And then when he got there, he had told everybody, they had asked him what happened to your Mexican wife and and the child she was pregnant with. And he said... They died. She died in childbirth. So I started off my life with a curse where my father left me for dead emotionally. And I also eventually got an address on him, and I I sent him letters growing up as a kid. I sent him letters, report cards, pictures, but I never, ever, ever got a response. So, of course, I couldn't understand it then, but that sends a tremendous spear of rejection into the heart of a child. But fortunately... And probably that's why I clung on to the Lord early on in life, because that was my only hope, that was my only saving grace, is that God loved me, and that God had a plan for me. But that that rejection definitely affected me. But as opposed to turning it into something negative, the way that God had protected me and wired me is as I turned it into something positive. So it became sort of the driving force of me wanting to do something special with my life course, the the first initial efforts of all that were to be worthy of love. And I'm not unlike millions and billions of other people who had hurt, shame, and rejection. And a lot of times that causes us to either work really hard to prove ourselves worthy of love, or we become jaded very early and decide not to do anything and become a crackhead and lay out on the streets. I chose the positive route, but it would take me many years to understand the depth of that pain and, and I masked it through accomplishment. So, you know, we all, we all have pain and we're looking for a, a soothing balm, an elixir to help fix us. And in my case, it was, it was going to be through something that I worked hard to achieve, making myself feel that I'm worthy of love. So I had the rejection of my father, but then I also had, when we moved to Oregon, which was a small town, it was not a multicultural ethnic-based place, we experienced a lot of racism because my mother was a Mexican with a Mexican accent. So not only did I have a father who didn't love me, but I had a whole world who didn't love me. Mm. So I clung very close to my mother and my brothers and sisters. We had no extended family, so we helped each other to survive through loving on one another, and each one of us in the family had a different quality or gift or skill that the other was dependent upon. 
So it was really just a mother and her seven lambs, and God was at the center of that. But yes, it was very, very painful, lots of heartbreak, and very little opportunity to ever really climb out of that. But, you know, there comes the hope of God, because with him all things are possible, and that's what I learned early on, is that all things are possible. And I developed a pretty incredible faith for a young kid. Well, let me, let me ask you this. What number kid were you? Were you number one, seven, somewhere in between? Third, third to the last. Third to the last. Okay. And at that time, as you're going through this, you, you said something really interesting just now. You said you masked your pain with accomplishment. So if you had to describe your identity at the time that you had, well, how would you describe your identity? Well, my identity would have been very broken and very lost because you know, we didn't even have like extended family, grandparents, uncles, aunts, literally nobody. All I had was a mother and my brothers and sisters. And it was very difficult to find any kind of identity because I wasn't born in Mexico City. So I didn't feel Mexican, even though I was half Mexican. My father was Irish. I didn't connect to that culture at all either. Mm -hmm. So I was being ridiculed for being Mexican, even though I didn't feel like a Mexican because I didn't really grow up in Mexico. I didn't even speak Spanish. But uh, whatever you want to say, white people didn't accept me up in Oregon because of my mother being Mexican. So I literally had no identity. And, I, and, and that's when I kind of crawled deep into myself and decided that I would become my own person. Most people have some sort of cultural identity of some kind, and I really didn't have any. And if anything, you know, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles, which was all a predominantly black community, and I grew up around lots of soul music. So if anything, I was this half Mexican, half white kid who felt more black than anything. But, <laughs> but none, none of them fully accepted me because I didn't really look like any of them. So that's kind of what sent me on sort of an introspective journey to just be me. And, and I was a very whimsical kid. You know, I even started a chicken farm when I lived up in Oregon. And I was a bit of a con man, you know, from, from my upbringing in Compton. I mean, when I first moved to Oregon, I was scrounging through a trash can, like a big dumpster, looking for any kind of treasures because we had nothing. And I found a book on boys' judo. So I was the kind of a kid, the minute I find the book, I became a self-proclaimed kung fu master. <laughs> <laughs> even though it was a judo book. <laughs> even though it was a judo book and I didn't know anything about judo. But because I found it, I am now a master at it. That's right. So I showed up the first day of school telling all the kids I'm a kung fu master and not to mess with me or I'll take you down. And, then, and, and next thing you know, I'm teaching them all judo for 25 cents each, but I'm just studying the lesson the night before. Uh, just like a normal entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean by like, that's how I dealt with my life. Yeah. That I, was, I was a dreamer. Here's how I would sum up myself and say about the identity. I was part sinner, part saint, part dreamer, part schemer. I was equal parts, all of them, but all heart. There's a song so, there. I mean, those are, you just tell lyrics to a song. <laughs> well, and the, so the, the schemer part, you know, the, the half saint, half sinner. So the sinner is the kid who conned all these other kids and taught them judo lessons. But I didn't really think of it as a con because I knew more than they did at the point. At that point, I had the book. I was studying each night. So I was giving them valuable information that I had to earn by digging through a trash dumpster, right? And so I'm teaching them judo. The principal busts me at the end of the week. But by the time he busts me, I'd already made $26. But the saint part, the saint part is that I turned around and gave all the money to my mother so she could buy insulation to add on to our little trailer so we wouldn't freeze. So you got a kid who's doing something that's inherently bad but for a good reason, and then he does something noble with the money. So that encapsulates kind of how I dealt with life, and I had many sort of episodes like that. Wow. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. I mean, by now our listeners know this episode is brought to them by our friends over at Great Waters Financial. That's right. Just so you guys know, when we say our friends, they really are our friends. One of the partners was even a groomsman in my wedding. So when we say we know them, we really do. These are men and women of character, men and women of integrity, men and women of faith. And I am honored and proud, as is Larry, to have them as our sponsors. That's right. They have 
over 200 million in assets under management and they serve clients all over. But one of the questions that keeps coming up is how do I know if I have the right financial advisor? How do I choose a financial advisor? So they have prepared a very simple and free download for you to get and answer those questions, how to choose a financial advisor. It's just a terrific resource that they want to make available to you. Even if this helps you pick someone other than them, they're happy with that because they just want to add value to you. So just go to greatwatersfinancial.com forward slash bold idea. Again, greatwatersfinancial.com forward slash bold idea to get your free downloadable resource. Investment advisory services offered through Advisor Net Wealth Management. Great Waters Financial and Advisor Net Wealth Management are not affiliated. Insurance products provided by Great Waters Financial, a Minnesota insurance agency. Talk about how you went through your own personal spiritual transformation. I know your mom was a committed follower and you you grabbed a hold of that faith of hers, but at some point in time, right, it became really personal to you in a sense that it's now your driving mission today. So what was that transformation like for you? Well, it all started with, again, with my mother, you know, teaching us about faith in California. We would attend the, uh, the Catholic Church every Sunday and she just had a real genuine, simple, childlike faith. When we moved to Oregon, she would gather me around the television every time Billy Graham came on to do one of his crusades. And so every time Billy Graham would come on and he'd give an invitation to receive the Lord, I would walk up to the television and you know, like receive it like I'm in the crowd. And then I had the opportunity through a Baptist summer church camp to go to a week-long church camp in the mountains up near Portland, Oregon. And I remember that that's where I walked up to the actual physical altar when the pastor gave his message and then he made an altar call. And I vividly remember, I was probably 11, 12 years old at the time, and I vividly remember walking up there crying, weeping, feeling the presence of God, mm. and asking Jesus into my life. I still, to this day, have my little workbook that I got from the camp where you fill out and talk all about Jesus. And uh, those things were precious to me. So that's where that's where it all started, was at the, that commitment at 12. So there was a time when I was about 12 or 13 that I wanted to be a drummer and a preacher and a speaker. Those were things that I wanted kind of all along. And then again, those desires grew strong again, like when I was 18 and like when I was 21. And with the Lord's help through all those years, I have been all three of those very things that I wanted to do back then, which was just the, the calling that he put inside of me. And I guess because of the pain and the rejection of the things that I went through, I was able through my pain to become a voice of inspiration to others because out of those points of pain grew my compassion. So I, I find that we don't really care about people unless we've gone through something difficult. And I went through many difficult things, but that's, that's where the heart of a shepherd came from. That's where the heart of a leader. And I knew what people needed and wanted because it's what I wish that I had had somebody to inspire me, somebody to give me a kind word, somebody to mentor me. And so I became for others what I wished that I had had for myself. Well, hang on. Let me ask you this. If there's somebody listening to this who say maybe for some reason in their life, they aren't a Christian or aren't following God or don't have religion in their life, how do you explain to someone why you would even take time to believe in God or put your faith in God when you have a mom who has put her faith in this God, in this Jesus all her life, but she's living in a Chevy Nova, raising seven kids by herself, has a father who's abandoned them, they have no food, her children are digging through garbage, they have no hope, and they're always moving. What? Why would somebody want to give their life to that God? Because that's the time when you need God. Nobody seems to pursue God when everything is going great in their life. When people are prospering and, and living you know, the high life, they, they, they seem like invincible. And like, why would I need God? I've got everything I need. It's only when, when you really hit rock bottom. And even people who've had everything and lose it all or go through health things or financial crisis, all of a sudden, you know, trials bring you down to your knees. And the thing about faith is it's like loyalty. There is no such thing as loyalty except for being under a test. How do you know a friend is loyal unless they can be disloyal? And you can't be disloyal unless you've been put under the pressure of temptation. And so I believe God uses the hardships of life to test the hearts of men and women. Because anybody can believe when everything's going good, 
But can you put your trust in an invisible God when nothing is going good, when everything is falling apart? And I believe that that's what God puts people through in life. He allows things, he allows, it's not that he wants those things to happen to you. For example, God never wanted for my father to leave. But because people are free will beings and they make bad choices, he knows they're going to happen. But he has a way out of every circumstance and a way out of every situation. The reason why I would tell anybody to cling to faith in Christ is because without him, there is no hope. Apart from God, there is no hope in this world. There is no hope for justice. There is no hope for eternity. There is no hope for redemption. There is no hope for deliverance. There's none because at the heart of man is wickedness. And a man or woman who's not set apart by God is only going to get in trouble by the things of this world because the world is false. The world is all filled with things that are polar opposite of God's holy attributes. Everything that we want to do by the flesh is wrong. But until, we have, until we're led by the Spirit, we, we're incapable of doing those right things. So to me, you know, nothing in my life makes any sense without this close relationship that I've had with Christ almost all of my life. And it's not just a religious thing. This is what I would tell anybody. I've been known as a drummer for 35 years in the music industry. So I have a certain level of fame as a drummer. And people in the drum community all around the world know who I am. I say that in the most humble way that I can, but I'm just trying to tell you a story. But until they actually meet me, until they actually hang out with me and talk with me or listen to me on a podcast, they really don't know me. They only know about me. Mm -hmm. And I know this from meeting tons of people who had a certain perception of me before they met me. And after they met me or heard me or read something that I wrote, they would say to me, wow, you're not anything like I thought you'd be. <laughs> I, I kind of thought you were just all fluff with your hat and your scarf and your earrings and your jewelry. And I kind of thought you were just sort of this self-centered rock star guy who thinks he's all that. But I have to say I'm ashamed and embarrassed because you're not anything like I thought. I hear that every day from people who are meeting me for the first time. And so they don't really know me. And the thing, they only know about me. God is not interested, and Jesus is not interested in people knowing about him. Mm -hmm. You can read the Bible all day long, but not actually know him. Mm -hmm. There are theologians that know the Bible forward and backward, but don't have a relationship with Christ. So the only thing that God cares about, the only thing that Jesus cares about, is actually a personal relationship with him, just like the only thing we care about is people actually knowing us. And we're wired for relationship. Most religion is just a system of rote things people do to win approval in their mind of God's acceptance, when what God is looking for is for you to know him. And I've come to know this God. I've come to know this Jesus and have walked with him and talked with him and dined with him and been corrected by him. And I've met the most powerful, famous people in the world, and nothing compares to actually knowing God and, more importantly, knowing that he knows me. So that's why I would tell anybody that the most important thing you can do is to develop this personal relationship with Christ, which is something that happens in your, in your heart. It happens in your spirit. You talk to him. You commune with him. You tell him your frustrations, your woes, your troubles, and you listen. This is the God that I know. He's personal, you know, and that, and that is what we all need because we're, we're wired with this interest in him already. We're, we're, we're wired with this desire to, to commune with him, to communicate with him. We're wired for the supernatural. It's, it's how he made us. There's a GPS inside of us that's longing to actually connect to him, and that's why we're here. And when we don't connect to that voice, no matter what we do or accomplish, we will always feel empty because he created us with a void inside of us that could only be filled with his spirit. And that's why everybody who tries to fill it with sex, drugs, rock and roll, fame, power, whatever they try to fill it with, they always come up empty because God reserved that emptiness to be filled with only him. And every other effort to do that is futile. Well, yeah. let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. The sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So you had the rock and roll part. You're known as the number one drummer in the world for certain genres of music. You've played with Lenny Kravitz, Bobby Brown, Frankie Valli, all these amazing, huge, elite bands and artists. Did you ever fall victim to the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or were you always a perfect Christian? No, I, I was born perfect, and I'll, I'll die perfect. I'm a perfect person, so I may be the only person on the podcast who can say that with complete authority. <laughs> no, I, I, have, I have fallen like anybody else in the world, and that is the reason 
why more than anything you need to have that relationship with Christ. Because if you're waiting to be perfect so you can approach him, you'll never approach him mm. because none of us are worthy of, of approaching him. And that is the beauty of the gospel, is that he accepts us where we're at exactly the way we are. But most of us think we have to earn our way into his presence, and that's not true. Now, in all my years of doing that, for myself, I was never attracted to drugs or drinking. So those were vices that never interested me. As a young, as a young man, of course, I was interested in girls like any other natural American young man or male, period. But I was, not, I was never taken down those other roads because growing up in the abject poverty that I grew up in, the idea of throwing away on something that couldn't return something of value back to me, like, like drinking it or snorting it or shooting it up my veins, seemed to me the most idiotic thing in the world. It made no sense to me. Mm -hmm. I was, well, why would I work so hard and then throw my money away? So I was always investing my time or my energy and knowledge. I would buy books and study whatever it was I was trying to learn. And so I, did, I, I, didn't, I never partied in my life. I've never been drunk or high in my entire life. That's not to say that I'm better than anybody. That is well, those are just though. choices that I made because they were <laughs> logical to me. Mm -hmm. That's seriously miraculous. I don't know how you hang out with the bands that you hung out with and never gotten drunk or high. I, I figured you, you could have accidentally happened. It just doesn't, it just never interested me. And number one, it kind of scared me. I had a certain amount of fear of that when I saw how it took other people down. And I knew that I had kind of an addictive personality from my childhood of having to work so hard to prove myself. So anything I got into, man, I got into 100%. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that if I even slipped into that domain, that that thing could take me out. I made drums the thing that I got into. So I immersed myself into it and studied and learned and practiced. But if I had made drinking the thing or drugs the thing, I knew those things would take me down because I had this very addictive personality, which you know came from my upbringing. And so I, I was just more of a positive person. It wasn't hard. This wasn't like so I, don't, I shouldn't get a medal because I didn't do drugs or drinking. It wasn't even there was no temptation to resist mm -hmm. because it just didn't make any. I was always sort of a practical, pragmatic kid. It just didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, well, if I spend the money on that, I won't be able to buy the albums I want. Or I won't be able to, you know, mm -hmm. like I would save my per diem so I could have a down payment on a house. I would go, well, I'm not going to spend it on, you know, I would see a lot of the other band guys have their, their bill when they checked out, you know, $100, $150 on liquor the night before I'm going, man, they're spending all their money on drinking. Yeah, that's a lot I'm of Kung Fu lessons, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm going to have to get the next book to be able to keep up with that kind of expense account. Hey, well, let's talk, let's talk about your book, Soar. What, why did you write it? What's your, what are you trying to accomplish with it? Soar has been my life message. It's been the thing that God has put in my heart, really, since childhood, the heart of a writer, the heart of a, of a teacher and an encourager. I've always been an encourager, like I said, because I was encouraged so infrequently, it made me become an encourager. But Soar is sort of the culmination of my life experiences. The subtitle of the book is Nine Proven Keys for Unlocking Your Limitless Potential. And so I really believe that God created every single person on this planet with limitless potential to excel, or to soar rather, in a certain area. Now, it's not in every area, but it's, it's within the area that he chose for us to have our, our gifts and talents. For instance, with myself, my gifts and talents are drumming, speaking, teaching, and writing. I have no carpentry skills. I have no mathematics skills. I have no administrative skills. I have what God gave me. But if I choose to take what he gave me and really work it, it is unlimited in its potential. So I feel that every single person on this planet has unlimited potential to soar, but it's in the pre-designated arena of the talent that God gave them. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem that people make, or the mistakes that people make, is a lot of times they're trying to pursue a talent that they don't have. Now, yes, we can get better at anything we work and study and practice, but if it's not the thing that God gave us, it's hard for us to excel at it, you know, because we have to have that in our DNA. So, soar is about teaching people how to discover what those unique gifts and talents are, and then how to develop them, and then, for the most important reason, so that you can deploy them. Because we're here for, that, for those three reasons. We're here to discover what God gave us, and we're accountable to develop the talent and the gifts that he gave us, and then we're here so that we can deploy them so we can ultimately make a difference and make an impact on the world that's positive by what God gave us. And if we're not doing those three things, we will never feel content, because as long as you're searching 
as long as you're not developing, you're always discontent because we're, we're meant to pursue and develop this thing we have for the ultimate reason of affecting people. And so I wrote SOAR to teach people these, these nine life principles that the Lord has taught me continuously through my life, and I've walked each one of those principles out, and I am continuing to with every new endeavor. So they work because they're God principles. You know, he put universal truths and principles on the earth. You reap what you sow. If you work hard, you can turn something into something extraordinary. These are things that we can't change. They're what he put in the universe. But anyway, so my joy is teaching people those things. So there are many, many stories and anecdotes and quotes and conceptual things that are just inspire people. And that's what, uh, so I wrote the book to really try to touch the hearts of people all around the world so that they can fulfill what they're here to do. That, yeah. That's my joy as a, as a human being. That means more to me than, than, than drumming, more to me than writing, more to me than anything is knowing that something that God gave me, a message to deliver, is able to change someone's life and transform their life if they apply the truth. That's what I live to do. And all these gifts and talents of mine are just a means of which to accomplish that, and it gives me some sort of platform in which to share that message. Yeah, well, this book is packed with all kinds of inspiration thing. Do you have a copy of the book right next to you? I want you to read something for us in, in your dramatic voice that you have. Who, me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I could find my dramatic glasses. Let me, let me see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. All right, so I, I, I can read you something. All right, what so page, page 156, your, your section on unbeatable. Read that. Okay. 156. I remember writing that for sure. All right, you want me to read it? Okay. Yeah. This is from me, Zorro. I am convinced that if I genuinely surrender my life to Jesus Christ, consistently submit to his authority, and do what he commands, I am unbeatable. No opposition can keep me from achieving God's dream for my life because all power in heaven and on earth has been given to him who is able to do what he said. This revelation gives me the power to believe that the impossible is possible and to reach for God-sized dreams that are much bigger than I alone can accomplish. It is my willingness to co-labor with Christ and my desire to give life away in the process, combined with my utter reliance on his strength and power, that will enable me to live out the dream he has placed in my heart and to soar with God. Boom, mic drop. That's it. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's that. The Lord gave me that. I was telling Armin yesterday. I wrote sore at obscene hours of the night. The Lord would wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and just stir my heart and, and mind with all the thoughts and all the things that are in sore. But I had to be obedient and actually wake up. I would sleep with my laptop right next to me, always open and ready fired up with the document, ready to go, so that the second that I was getting an idea, I bam, my hands were on the keys and I could be immediately typing, because sometimes you'll get a, a great thought or a great whirlwind of inspiration, but then if you got to go find your laptop, fire it up, wait for it to load up, find the document, you've already lost the idea. So I always slept with my computer next to me, ready to go, and that whole unbeatable thing came to me at one of those sort of God moments. I'm just a vessel, you know, and all of us are. We're just, we're just a vessel to do the work of God. So I'm just one of these, I'm still like the same kid that I was. I'm just, I have a simple childlike faith. I believe that the impossible is possible because I know who God is. He's done it in my life a zillion times. And I just keep believing with that same childlike spirit that he can download great ideas to me that will be of benefit to other people. He could give me great drum ideas. Whatever he's the he's the author and creator of of human life, so he's the ultimate artist. I'm just a tool that he uses to express himself, but I always make myself available. So if there's some words of wisdom that I would give to people listening, is to realize that you're made in the image of the most creative artist in the world, God Himself. We are all artists in one way or another. Whether we're a musician or a writer or actor, it has has no bearing on it. Everything mankind does is creative. A cook is creative. An accountant is creative. A mother is creative. We're, we reek with creativity because God is creative. So, but we have an assignment here. 
We have ideas that he's given us. We have purpose. We have destiny written over our lives. But it's up to us to participate with him by taking bold steps of action towards the vision, towards the dream, towards the idea. And it takes, it. you know, there's, there's a quote in my book. It's a quote not a lot of people like. <laughs> well, I'll give you the Henry Ford one, then I'll give you the other one. He said, thinking is really, really hard work which explains why so few people engage in it. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite quotes as well. <laughs> well, because to do anything of value requires deep thought. Yeah, it does. You have to ponder, you have to meditate, you have to think, you have to rethink, retool, recalibrate. The other one is from Thomas Edison. He said, opportunity comes to most people, but it's dressed up in overalls and looks a lot like work. Mm-hmm. And I have every single thing that I've ever done or accomplished in my life has required an insane amount of work. And when somebody gets the book or hears my performance or whatever, they just think, oh, man, he's just naturally talented. He's just gifted. That's what they think about any good work that anybody does. But they have no idea the amount of intense labor that has gone into something. It's like Thanksgiving. You invite some people over for Thanksgiving. You know, they devour your meal in 15 minutes. But it took you, you know, eight hours to prepare it. It took J.R. Tolkien, you know, 20 years to write Lord of the Rings and somebody a week to read it. So to produce anything of value is where all the work is. Amen. But to consume, it takes moments. Yes. And so if people are willing to put in the work, that's what it takes to see the bold idea come to life. Oh. It's the work part. Yeah, because a, God already has given you the gift and the vision. Yeah, what a great word. And, and probably the place we need to land it. You know, it occurred to me, as you've been talking through this interview, the magic, I don't want to use that word in a in, a, in the wrong sense here, but sure. the, the, the wonder of what God gave you in that unbeatable passage that you wrote, because he gave you two sticks to beat out a rhythm through your life, and that whole idea, really, of being unbeatable with the drive and determination and the conviction that you have demonstrated. It's inspiring to me personally. I've got to go beat some things up now myself. And <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you. But, I mean, I appreciate that, Larry. And, and, and the, thing about, the thing about all of like, everybody's life is, you know, for a limited amount of time, God offers life. Life is a limited time offer. It has an expiration that's date. That's right. So to me, my whole goal with everything that I do is, how many people can I touch and inspire for the appointed time that I'm here? And so I'm driven by this eternal perspective. I'm not Amen. driven by things of the present or accomplishments of the moment. I'm driven by eternal things. The, the, the message that's in my book can eternally change somebody's mm-hmm. life. If you change one person's life, you could change generations of lives. So I'm driven by things that have eternal value, knowing that one day I'm going to check out of here. So what I'm most interested in is doing as much damage against the enemy as possible leading as many people to their destiny or to a crisis as possible, and making the difference that I can while I can. So that's the reason to work hard. Because if you're only driven by your own personal ambition, it's not deep enough, it's not big enough, it's not important enough. You have to be driven by something more important. And if you're driven by you know, the potential that God gave you to impact this world, you don't want to show up on Judgment Day and have God say, you know what, I gave you, I gave you $10 million in your bank account, you spent $3.00. Mm-hmm. What a wicked servant you were! Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you didn't mm-hmm. you didn't exercise courage, you didn't exercise discipline or faith or or you know hard work. You know you got to be able to say, Lord, I, I used everything you gave me and, and I spent it all. Yeah. And 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 here's the outcome: all these touched lives. That's really what it's about. It's not a journey of self; it's a journey of service. Yeah, for sure. Now, how can our listeners get a hold of you if they want to learn more? My website is. Zoro, Z-O-R-O, ministries, spelt out, Z-O-R-O, ministries.org. And, you know, they can go to my, that's my ministry website. I have a lot of blogs on there that I've written. They can download a free chapter of the book Soar. I have tons of motivational quotes that God gives me every day that I post up there. Just lots of inspiring content and television shows and interviews. And if people are interested in having me come to speak at their school or church or conference or any of those things they can just email me you know through the website as well and those are the things that i do all around the world you know i speak and perform and teach and share and 
that's what I love doing. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you're good at it. I very robust website and lots of good stuff out there. So we'll have the links to all those resources in our show notes as well. But Zora, I want to thank you again for appearing on the Bold Idea Podcast. I know we could probably dive into a lot more stuff. Both Armin and I were itching with, I mean, we probably have 15 or 20 questions we didn't get around to asking you, but we'll, uh, we'll just we'll have to do it fun again. time. We'll Absolutely, again, that'd because, be great. Uh, yeah. I'm a person who has a lot inside of me, so it's, it, it's you know, the only thing that's going to be able to get unpacked is what we can do in an hour or 45 minutes, but I'd be happy to come back. There's so much more I'd oh, love yeah. to talk about and share that, with you. So that'd be great. thank you for the opportunity. I think we just started a new friendship here. So thanks, Zoro, for being on the program. Thanks, and God bless you guys for what you're doing. I speak a blessing over your ministry and over your podcast, and, and I speak a blessing over everybody listening that somehow the words that we shared and spoke would touch their heart deeply and cause great fruit to come out. Well, amen to that. Amen. Thanks, Zoro. Have an awesome day, man. You too, guys. Thanks for the privilege and the opportunity. God bless. All right, Armin, there's a lot a lot of stuff here for us to chat about with, with Zorro, huh? Yeah. You know, what's funny is by when you talk to people like Zorro who have gone through hard times, they're so excited to talk about the miracles that have happened in their life that they just... I don't know why, but we have a tendency to just breeze over the challenge, to breeze over the struggle and say, yep, it was bad, but here's the glory of God, right? But I meet so many people that want to know your struggle because that that's their point of empathy. That's their that's the beginning of the inspiration for them. And that's why I just almost wanted to keep pulling on that thread of like, I know. tell me more, like yeah. help me understand like I get a piece of it, you know, I, we, we lived in slums, we went through poverty, but I had my dad, I had my mom, I had my brother. Yeah, we here's went, a guy that didn't. Yeah, you know, like people can't fully understand what that rejection completely feels like, you know, like you, you don't know what that isolation is. You don't know how much that pain is. You don't know how often you look in the mirror and you hate yourself because you're convinced everyone hates you. So you convince yourself you're a broken low life piece of crap who deserves nothing right and uh, like and that's the kind of stuff that you have to fight against so for people to understand what it is for zoro to come out of that to become the number one drummer in the world like the amount of obstacles that he had yeah, to scale right the amount of walls he had to shatter the amount of things he had to shake himself out of it's it's not just hard work you know but he sticks to the theme of hard work there's so much more that took place there's like a belief system that had to take place there's these the way that you speak to yourself there's like a narrative that had to change there's so much that had to happen in his heart, in his head, in his soul, in his spirit, in his life, in his friendships for him to get there. And I, and I just wanted to like yank that out of him because I know there's so much more <laughs> well, there, you know? Certainly struck a chord with you. Well, I get it though, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like anytime you can empathize, you, I don't know, it just fires you up because you know what they had to go through. Yeah, for sure. And I think as Aura would say, you know, it, it really is. And I think maybe that's why there's so much focus on it because there's the grace of God and the power of God to take him out of a situation that was as dire and desperate and yet the testimony he had for his mom and for his family to be that group that kept everybody together kept visioning going forward you know kept hope alive yeah regardless of the circumstances and that's truly you know what hope is hope is a view of the future regardless of the present and Mm -hmm. he kept that alive and you know as you pointed out you know became quite quite famous regardless of his fame though the story is remarkable in and of itself in the sense that he had this vision that he cultivated as a young child and he just kept staying at it and staying at it and so often you know when things don't go as well as we might think we we might abandon that yeah you know and i get the impression that here is a guy who just locked in to what he knew gave him pleasure. It kind of reminded me of that line from Chariots of Fire when Eric Little said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Right. And I almost feel like Zorro could say the same thing. When I drum, drum. I feel God's pleasure, <laughs> you know? And I wanted him to read that unbeatable passage, you know, because it just felt like it really summarized, you know, what he's saying in his book and what he said in our podcast, which is with God, not not because of my hard work of myself yeah. and not because I didn't do any hard work, but it's because we co-labored. Mm. You know, we can see ourselves as being 
unbeatable. And I, as I read that passage that he wrote, I couldn't help but thinking about what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Right. And here's Paul almost describing kind of a situation that I imagine Zorro as a young kid would say, hey, I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Yeah. I've got this vision for what my God and my life can be like going forward. Right. So no matter what our circumstances, you know, we might feel drained and de-energized and hopeless and all the rest. We've got a God who's bigger than that. And it just takes us believing that he put us here to do something, as Zorro, I think, was saying. His mission is to unlock that in other people. Man, I just resonated with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, if there if there's a theme in his story is a life without limits. And I think what is inspiring about that is that he's saying it's not a life without challenges. It's not a life without obstacles. It's not a life without pain or grief or agony or whatever. It's just a life without limits. And it's in, it's a mentality. It's a spirituality. It's, it's this belief system. It's a vision. It's a call. It's believing in something bigger than yourself and believing that there's a God out there that's actually bigger than your problems, bigger than your challenges, and looking to that rather than looking or focusing on the problems. And I think that's what makes it so inspiring is that he can take his past, look at his present, and stand on the stage and say, I promise you, based on my experiences, God is bigger than your problems. And there's nothing that can stand in your way if you continue to believe in him. He will carry you through. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. It's, I, I love him. I just love Zorro. Yeah, and I think it's his message is very consistent, I think, with what you and I have started this podcast all about. Yeah, absolutely. Which is God has put something inside of us, and it's our job, as he said, he, you know, discover, right? What were the three things that he said? To discover, to develop, and to deploy. Mm-hmm. You know, that is what we're here to do. We're to, we're to discover what God has gifted us to do, were to develop those gifts and to and to bring that forth to the world and and deploy it, right? And that, it's it's very simple, but it also takes a lot of faith and a lot of hard work. That's right. That's it. I mean, I, I think that's the narrative of his entire thing that he talks about is just a life without limits. And I I, I think whoever is listening to this, no matter what your challenge is, no matter what's beating up against you, what's making you feel like you're failing at the end of the day. There's something bigger. There's something better. There's something stronger than you or your problems. And it will carry you through because you're that important to him because you are his child, because he loves you, because you mean the world and you're worth dying for. And that problem that you're facing is not going to stop him from carrying you through. Amen to that. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast, our conversation with Zorro. We'll have links to his website and all the resources on our show notes page, which you'll find at boldideapodcast.com slash 35, because this is episode 35 now. And we'd love for you to just visit that page, leave us a comment, and let us know what your thoughts are about what Zorro said. Tell us some of your stories and enter into a dialogue on that. Or feel free to call our show line at 612-568-IDEA, 612 612- Five six eight four three three two. Well, this is Larry Gates and Armina Sadi. Until next week, we say God bless and go boldly forward. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com. dot